This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235. And let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. here again got to talk about how warm it is days are in the mid 70s the nights are in the mid 50s just gorgeous gorgeous florida weather that's why we have 600 people a day move into the state of florida uh mike's not with us tonight mike has that flu bug that's going around seems to be hitting just about everybody at one time or another a pandemic as they're calling it comparable to the Pandemic of the early 1900s during the time of World War One. I. I read an article about that, about the pandemic. I think I mentioned this last week. 50% of the American soldiers that were killed in World War One died because of the flu. Unbelievable number there. That always fascinates me. We have uh, flu shots now. So if you haven't had your flu shot, get it takes about two weeks for it to start taking effect. It's not a live bug. You are not going to get the flu by getting the flu shot. It's, it's a dead virus. So, But it will build up an immunity, and it will help fight off the, the nasty bug. So we got a few things to talk about tonight. And without Mike here in the background sharing with, oh, I was going to look up something. I missed that. Um Oh, well, uh, without Mike in the background here, uh, helping me out with uh, different things and talking about different things and uh, looking up stuff, you're going to have to put up with me for a while. I don't think I'm going to do a full show tonight, uh, but I will. Let's see. Let's do this. U-L-L-O. Uh, not A, just U-L-L-O. Uh, let's see what that brings up. Uh, okay, there we go. Oh, actually, we should wait until Mike gets back to talk about this. Um, I just discovered another couple of products that were, oh, he's local. Oh, my gosh. No, he's a physician. Um, a wine purifier that removes sulfites and preservatives called the ULO, U-L-L-O, ULO. We've been talking a lot about these things that remove sulfites. And so I discovered that this other things out there, the ULO wine purifier. I might wait until Mike gets back next week and talk about this. We've been talking about all sorts of different things that remove it or supposedly remove sulfites from wine. And I just discovered a couple more. So I think I might wait until next week to talk about this. So, uh, never mind. We are live. Uh, is Today is the 1st of February. Tomorrow is Groundhog Day. And for those of you who I'm not aware of it, who live on a different planet. Tomorrow's Groundhog Day. They expect the uh, Puxistani field to see his shadow without question, so there will be another six weeks of winter. But do the math. Six weeks from tomorrow is the first day of spring anyway. So, uh, oh well. What are you going to have with your wine this coming week? Our standard... Uh, this is what 
goes with it. List. Today is the first. Today is National Dark Chocolate Day. I mentioned this last week. If you do not have yourself a glass or a uh, uh, nice red wine with some dark chocolate, then you are definitely missing out. Uh, good, rich red wine, a good Cabernet, Merlot, uh, Zinfandel, any of those, and a good piece of dark chocolate, great combination. They complement each other very, very well. Or you can even get Plantation Spice, which, no, you can't because I don't have any. I'm sold out. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes here. I didn't mention last month what this, uh, or last week, what this month is. It is American Heart Month, American Black History Month, every February. National Chocolate Lovers Month, which is always a, a good thing. But, you know, Valentine's Day in there, no wonder. National Cherry Month. National Snack Foods Month, and National Hot Breakfast Month. And that's not a bowl of cereal unless you warm up your cereal in the microwave, which I have known people to do that. Ooh. But um, what is it? Uh, grape nut flakes. Grape nut flakes. Or nut flakes. Grape nuts. Grape nuts are supposed to be good if you microwave them a little bit. I... I Personally, do not like my cereal out of a box to be warm. It needs to be cold with milk on it. But if you're into warm grape nuts, then, hey, more power to you. But National Hot Breakfast Month is this month. Again, today, National Dark Chocolate Day. Tomorrow, Groundhog Day, like I mentioned. It is also National Tater Tot Day. All right. I like tater tots. Um, Saturday. National Carrot Cake Day. Yeah, get yourself some nice wine with that. That that carrot cake, uh, Gewurztraminer. I think that would be an interesting little combo day. Carrot cake and Gewurztraminer. Try it. Sunday, Super Bowl 52. Uh, if you're not into sports, then um, you get the Puppy Bowl and the Kitty Bowl. But Super Bowl 52 is Sunday. Also, it's National Homemade Soup Day. Which is good. I like homemade soup. I, my wife is an engineer, is very good about popping out a, a pot of homemade soup every once in a while. And she does beef barley and does well with chili and stuff like that. I suppose you can call chili soup. I mean, really. I mean, so uh, lots of possibilities with wine with homemade soups. Monday, World Nutella Day. Hmm. I just find that interesting. A Nutella Day, World Nutella Day. Not just national, but world. It is also National Frozen Yogurt Day, Monday. Uh, there you have it, so many different styles, ways now, just like ice cream. Tuesday, National Snack Foods Day, which in the middle of National Snack Foods Month, it makes for a good combo. You see salty. More salty uh, snacks sold than any other type. I mean, by almost two to one over the second place one. And I think all the snacks put together just barely pass salty snacks like peanuts and, or not peanuts, uh, potato chips and stuff like that. You know what I'm talking about. So, uh, and then Wednesday, National Fettuccine. Alfredo Day. Ooh, that sounds good. Lots of possibilities of wine with that. So that's Wednesday. And the next Thursday, if you happen to want to do something before the program, it's National Potato Lovers Day. Now, this could be in any style, in any way, in any any form. So when you say potatoes lover, and wouldn't that also include tater tots, which is tomorrow? But maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But National Potato Lovers Day, uh, when I think of that, I immediately think of a baked potato. So you can go any way you want. I suppose potato chips, you're looking at snacks there too, but potato chips could be a potato. Yeah. So there you go for the next week. Something to look forward to next Friday, a week from tomorrow, National Pizza Day. But uh, there we go for this week. Those are our 
things that you can compare wines with and celebrate the days as you are doing it. Last Saturday, we had our last festival at Florida State's Winery. It was fun. It was great. There was lots of people that came in. Lots of people came in and bought the port, and I ran out of wines. Actually, I'm at a point now where I only have three wines left. I have port, I have some Plantation Red, and I have some uh, Casa del Sol Florida Stars, which is from the Starfruit. Now, the stars, I am down to, I think, oh, wow, uh, less than a case of 10, 9 bottles. That's it. The red, not too much more than that. I think I've got 13 bottles of that. Port, I'm actually really in pretty good shape. My last batch, I made a bigger batch, and it's surviving well. So if you're hearing this live, which, again, is Thursday evening, February the 1st. If you're in this live, you can come in and pick up any of those three. Give me a week, and I'm sure the only thing that's going to be left there is the port. I am open. Everything in the store is 40% off, so if you want to come in and pick up any items for a holiday gifts or birthday present for someone who is a wine person or any of that, we're still giving 40% off everything. So that's a good opportunity to pick up a few things. Here's some stuff that you've been wanting to get and you haven't. Now's the time to do it. So that's it. We are looking at probably last day of this month, February. We'll be closing the doors for, for good. I have a lot of things to do for the final month there. I'm going to be distributing stuff that we have there that don't need anymore. I'll be taking stuff around to homeless shelters and women's shelters and and soup kitchens and all that. We got a bunch of stuff that those places can use, so I'm going to be distributing that all over and doing a lot of recycling also. So uh, if you're in the area, stop by, pick up some stuff, and say goodbye. Speaking of which, I have to say that Saturday... I was, for lack of a better word, quite humbled by the outpouring. The closing of the winery, I did not realize, affected a lot more people than what I considered it would. I I just, it, it surprised me. It surprised me a lot. I was quite humbled by, by the outpouring from everyone and by what everyone had to say and you know, people had been coming in for years, and uh, they were just quite upset because we were closing. They, uh, they've enjoyed the winery so much. They've enjoyed coming out. They've enjoyed bringing people out. In fact, I'm getting some people I know did not see that we were closing that I haven't seen, which I'm surprised. The reason I know they haven't seen that we're closing because they haven't been out. They haven't been out to, to say goodbye. Uh, because there are some of them out there that's been coming by for many, many years, and we've developed a, a friendship. I did have a couple of people come in Sunday, uh, two different couples come in Sunday. One of them had seen that we were closing, came in, ended up buying actually two cases of wine, walked out with it. Another couple came in, as they do periodically. I've known them for years. They brought their adult children by, and they've been by quite a bit. I, I've seen him for a lot of times. And Rick, if you're listening to this, hey. But they didn't know we were closing and it really caught them off guard. They were they were quite surprised about the fact that we were going to be closing the doors. So had a nice visit with them Sunday for a couple of hours and people I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna miss a lot of people closing the winery and Saturday like I say was the final day of getting all the ones in the festival at vendors there Constantine who usually entertains all of us has the flu bug also so he didn't show up but we had some great vendors and we had a great time there's quite a few people there and it was just fun overall it just was a great thing and again 
I have been quite humbled by the outpouring of of friendship. Uh, a lady brought me in a gift certificate for Olive Garden, which I thought was really, really nice. And, uh, you know, it's just, we're, uh, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss the people. I'm going to miss the, the job and all that. So, uh, just wanted to tell you, though, uh, about that. We still are open, still come out. And if you're listening to this program, I'm going to be continuously doing this. So you can always get a hold of me through this and through All About Wine Facebook or All About Wine email or contact me even live on the program if you want. But I'll still be here doing these things. So with that being said and that being done and not getting teary-eyed yet because it's not completely over. I have a few things to talk about tonight. And let's see. Oops, that was the wrong one. Let me get this back up here. Let me go to this. And let me go to this. Excuse me. Here we go. What makes a wine successful? Why does a wine that's introduced become a wine that people buy? Why is a wine that's put on the shelf one that people continue to buy as opposed to some that were put on the shelf and you go, oh, well, that's interesting. And a couple, three months later, it disappears. And no matter where you look or no matter what you do, you can't find it. And it's not because of distribution. I mean, we can all throw out that you know, they distribute and then they quit distributing their stuff. I mean, it, it's it's other things. Uh, between 130 and 140 million babies were born will be born over this next year, 2018. Uh, that's uh, actually the number predicted for new products and new brands that we will be launched globally over 2018. 130 to 140 million new products. Uh, a professor at Harvard, uh, Clayton Christensen, uh, gave the total figure for the U.S. at 30,000 uh, and said that that's the number that we can expect here. Uh, the new products news saying that uh, food products and stuff, uh, wines and stuff, 11,000 to 16,000. But still, that's a lot of items. Um, you know, whatever it's, it is, it is a lot of new stuff. And they're saying that uh, Clayton Christian says that the overall failure rate for the new products is about 95%. 95. U.S. retail analyst IRI says that it's really about 72 to 78%. But either way, that's a lot of products being introduced that are not going to make it out of 2018. Uh, the success rate, let's go back a few years to 20 or to 1996. There were 14,000 products introduced in 1996, and 12% failed. Or, or uh, products launching. The I'm sorry, not failed. 88% failed out of that. 12% survived. Uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. In the wine world, you've got. All sorts of possibilities there. Um, got Appalachians, designated Appalachians, which basically nobody knows and nobody cares about because that's one of the things I always ask at the winery when I'm doing I will, I will miss asking that question. How many of you know what an, an ABA is? And nobody knows. Very, very few people have any idea. They start making guesses because they know it's an acronym for something but very few people really know what an AVA is. And so 
I said, you know, the thing here says Appalachians will fill. I don't think it's Appalachian. Maybe, you know, other places in the world and stuff like that. But I don't even think that's a that's an issue. People just don't know what it is. It's just when you start getting into a little bit more wine knowledge, and I'm not criticizing you if you don't know, but if you start getting a little bit more wine knowledge, you understand what an Appalachian is or an AVA or any of that stuff. And you can start looking for differences there. But overall, yeah, I don't think Appalachians is going to make a difference. Um, What people look for, I mean, they look for things that's going to catch their eye. And whether it's an Appalachian, New Appalachian, old, whatever, it's not going to catch their eye because that's not something that they're looking for. So a new name might seem like, something that they're going to grab on, that they're going to check and see, is this is this any good? Yeah, they probably will. Uh, when products fail, they disappear from the market. Appalachians stay around. It's not going to change the Appalachian. It's just the products within those Appalachians. Um, there's, uh, you can you can check the success rate by looking for stuff that is coming from certain areas. And if it doesn't build itself a reputation, it's not going to survive. The price and the value of its vineyards are barely noticeable overall. Uh, Top producers can charge more, but it just doesn't really affect people where they're at and what they're buying because the top producers aren't what people buy. So what causes a wine to survive or fail? Well, number one, price. That always seems to be in in the price range, 7 to $15. If it falls in that category, it, it's going to be noticed. Also, the multi-billion dollar business we've talked about before is labeling. If those labels catch the eye, then it's going to probably go off the shelf the first time with someone. And then third, and probably most important, if it appeals to the people. Most people don't notice subtle little differences. So therefore, if it is one that appeals to their taste, it has a good possibility if it carries all three of those things, it will survive. But then, who knows, there could be other factors in there that it doesn't, not good distribution or anything else. So basically, it's, uh, you know, is this wine going to sell in your area? Is it not going to sell in your area? Is it going to sell in your store? Where are people buying wines? There's so many factors, almost almost impossible to say this wine is going to succeed whereas this one's going to fail. It could surprise you on both of them. All right. This is something I saw which I thought was strange. All right. Best word I can use to describe this is strange. Wine Spectator magazine. And I subscribe to Wine Spectator. I enjoy it. It's a good magazine. And it's been around for a long, long time. And it's a lot of people's go-to. I think Mike is now subscribing to Wine Spectator and learning stuff from it. But Wine Spectator magazine in the New Jersey prison system, Wine Spectator is put right up there with knives and shivs and shanks and uh, gang colors and all that because they're all banned. You can't buy a Wine Spectator magazine or take a Wine Spectator magazine into a New Jersey prison, in the state of New Jersey penitentiaries. They have banned it uh, for no particular reason. They've banned other things that go into prison. The new Jim Crow book uh, was battled and was screamed and yelled by different people in the ACLU of New Jersey, and they lifted the ban. Now they're asking 
There are other magazines, obviously, that are banned. High Times, which is about marijuana, Senseless Carnage, Cocaine Nation, How to Hustle and Win. And Parents Magazine is also banned in a prison. But Wine Spectator also is included in that. Uh, Wine Spectator asked the Department of Corrections in New Jersey, why are we banned? And they didn't have an answer for them. They said, we're currently examining our list to determine why particular publications were banned, and we will get back to you. During the interim, you can't get a Wine Spectator magazine in the prison because, for all intent and purposes, it's illegal. Uh, <laughs> uh, the ACLU of New Jersey is now, along with uh, some other groups, is trying to check on the list of banned magazines that going into the prisons in New Jersey and understanding why and battling it on First Amendment reasons. They said if the prison looks through every issue and finds something that is objective in every issue, they can ban it individually, but just a blanket ban is not allowed. So we'll see if we hear any more about this on a future date. I don't know if we will or not. Maybe. But as of right now, they're banned. Okay. Here we go. FreeTheGrapes.org. Uh, FreeTheGrapes is one of our favorite sites. I keep saying I need to get a hold of uh, Gary, and I never do, but I really really need to get in touch with him. But, excuse me, Free the Grapes Indiana. Wine's out of reach for Indiana consumers and a winery lockout. Whoa. I said Gary is Jeremy uh, Benson from Free the Grapes. While Indiana is one of 44 states that do allow legal direct-to-consumer shipments from wineries, uh, the Hoosier State now stands out from the other 43 in an important way. Indiana is the only state that prohibits wineries from carrying both a legal direct shipping license and a relationship with a wholesaler. So you can do a direct shipping, but you can't use a wholesaler. The wholesaler winery relationship is important as it's the only way the winery can sell their wines to Indiana restaurants and liquor stores. But they're presented as an either-or dilemma here. Either the wineries elect to sell their wines through wholesaler middleman or directly to consumers. They can't do both. So, Indiana wine lovers are the ultimate losers, regardless of how they do it. If you want to go to a restaurant, get yourself an Indiana wine with the meal, and then go home and order that wine, can't do both. You're going to have to choose one or the other. Uh, compared to the other 43 states that allow direct consumer wine shipments, Indiana's continue to be denied a wide range of wines to purchase because of the winery lockout, they're calling it, which is unique to that state. Uh, so, no surprise, Indiana has the fewest number of direct winery licenses of any state that permits direct winery shipping. They've only got 330 licenses uh, in that state. And for the population size, that's small. Massachusetts has 1,135, Missouri 1,196. Even Maryland has 900. But you're looking at states like the uh, Wyoming uh, has the smallest adult population. It has 810 direct shipper license. So uh, Indiana is really, uh, I think, shooting themselves in the foot on this. That was me. Uh, Jerry Benson, the director of Free the Grapes, said this is fix is simple. Requiring wineries to choose between broad representation with the wholesaler or direct consumer shipments is an arbitrary rule with no public policy benefit. He calls it protectionism. Simply put, we feel the law allows more consumer choice. 
And again, more tax money. You know, just tell them you get more tax money if you do it. And, you know, um, direct consumer wine sales fills the gaps where the three tier system does not meet the uh, consumer demand. Uh, with 10,000 U.S. wineries, almost 10,000 U.S. wineries producing at least 80,000 individual labels all trying to get your attention, and the wholesaler middleman is uh, really starting to scream. Actually, the two top wholesalers control approximately 60% of all U.S. wine and spirit sales. Oh, my God, I'm talking about a monopoly. 98% of wine is sold through wholesale channels, and it's effective, and it works, and they get the wine out there. Uh, it works for large wine producers and not for the small winery. Let me tell you, I mean, we've talked to too many people about this, and we've talked, and I can testify myself using a distribution company or a a distributor ends up actually costing us money a lot more than what it's worth to us to get out there. Uh, I do have a distributor's license, though, if anybody's interested in purchasing it, get in touch with me uh, for Florida. Free the Grapes is said that, uh, you know, they need to fight this. They need to do it. There's uh, If you are in Indiana, if you are a member of the state of Indiana citizen, then go to freethegrapes.org. They have a letter that you can personalize you just click on it you just write your name and information on it and click send and they will take care of everything for the from there to get a hold of your representative and your legislatures and let them know to get their head out the butts and get this taken care of and this this stupid rule so freethegrapes.org again we've talked about that many times founded in 1998 it's a national movement of consumers, wineries, and retailers seeking to expand the direct-to-customer sales. So, uh, Jeremy Benson, when we've talked to him, said that his job is to get himself out of a job by getting the whole country to have open shipping. So, freethegrapes.org, if you're a member of Indiana, go to the freethegrapes.org website and sign the letter. Uh, okay, uh, I'm going to wait. Actually, here I was going to talk about this saintly solutions assault fights, and I'm going to wait until next week when Mike's back so we can talk some more about these things and see, you know, what they, you know, because he's been involved in this quite a bit, and so let's see what was this on the 16. What did I miss here? Um, oh, fine wine. I think I read that. Okay, I'm very sure I talked about that last week, so we don't have to do that. I'm checking out my my things here, my sites here. Uh, this is 20, yeah. All right. Uh, I can hear my one. Two, 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 two. Smoke taint. We have to address this. Yeah, we just had all those fires and everything out in California. And are we going to have problems with smoke tank? Well, as I've said before, a lot of these vineyards had already been picked the time they got around to uh, the fires. The final months of 17 were full of fires, wildfires. Spirited. There it is. Huh. Uh, Spirited Magazine. If you are interested in it, you can sign up for a free complimentary issue online. So, do so. It's a good magazine. I get it. And I just It just popped up on me here on the thing. Go to Spirited Magazine. You can sign up for free. The wildfires raging through California and affected some wine-growing regions, Sonoma, Napa, Mendocino, down south of Ventura County, Santa Barbara County. And as soon as they found that the workers returned to their fields, they started to assess the smoke taint damage. And that's, the, the vineyards survived pretty well. 
check the All About Wine Facebook page. I put a link on there for the wineries that had damage in the northern counties. I didn't do Ventura or Santa Barbara, but the northern counties, I had a list of the wineries that had damage. The estimate is more than 90% of the wine grapes were picked before the fires broke out. So that's good. Sonoma, Napa, Mendocino. It was a great year for wine, they're saying. Uh, the winemakers from a couple of wineries, both located in, the, in Calistoga. Uh, only a little bit of the stock was affected by the fires. Uh, Remy Cohen, Vice President of Cliff, uh, Cliff Lid Vineyards in Stag's Leap, said that uh, it should have a minimal impact on future wine quality also. Uh, many of the grapes were already harvested. Uh, 2017 was a pretty warm year, so it put them in line to be harvested sooner. And the uh, wines didn't really, or the grapes didn't really get affected by the smoke. Any vines that were exposed to smoke won't be affected, although some of the vines in the line of fire, the edges, uh, actually got burned and died, so they'll have to replant those. But the smoke damage they're saying is almost non-existent uh, to the to the wines and to the grapes. It's not clear how much the harvest is uh, it's going to affect everything. Said uh, uh, Agriculture Issue Center UC Davis uh, Jim Lapsley. Uh, Three-year average yield in Napa of tons of grapes was 151,000 tons. And the figures that 10% wasn't harvested before the fires, Napa's three-year Cabernet average could drop. So, hypothetically, it would represent uh, the 15 Let's see, where are we here? I lost my... Oh, Napa's three-year average Cabernet harvest was 63,205 tons. So, hypothetically, 15,100 tons would represent about 24% of Napa's harvest. And that's because Cabernet Sauvignon grapes are picked later, and they're most heavily affected. Uh, They salvage many grapes, uh, and the, the smoke and ash might be instrumental in some of the Cabernet Sauvignon wines. They don't know. Uh, He advises, uh, everyone advises, don't leave the skin contact too long because that could impart more. Uh, They're trying to do what they can to get the smoke taint out and not have it overpower too much. They don't know. Uh, Smoke-tainted wines can be sold as bulk for California blends or repurposed, uh, possibly as vinegar, balsamic. Uh, Current aging vintages are not going to be affected. Warehouses uh, are full right now, and there was a fire at a warehouse in Vallejo, California in 2005, and that didn't really, the smoke taint didn't really affect those, and that could affect it at any step of the way. So what they're saying, smoke taint on the wines are probably, most of them that were picked, which is most of the wines, aren't going to be affected at all. The ones that could be affected, Cabernet Sauvignon. And that is, they're not expecting that to be affected either by smoke taint. So you don't know until the wines are finished, though. That's the thing about smoke taint. Uh, check out some past episodes. I've talked about smoke taint and how it affects the wines and everything. And you don't know until they're done. That's the sad thing about it. It's not where you can just pick up a wine that's our take a wine thief and pop some wine out of a barrel and put it in your glass and say, oh. This has smoke taint. I need to dump this. It just, once it's finished, that's really where you start noticing the smoke taint more than any other time. So that's the sad thing about that.
Okay, let's uh, look at something else here. What was that? Let's see. Let's look at this one here. Um, I, I skipped not talking about you know the sulfite removers there, which threw me off on my time because I was going to rant about that. But I really do want to wait until Mike gets back with us before I start ranting about that stuff because he has good insight to it and I'll let him know that what's going on also. Um, yeah, let's see. Oh, here we go. That's what I was going to talk about. New Hampshire is considering lowering the drinking age from 21 to 20. What? Yes. They have talked about it before. It's not a new thing. Lawmakers are considering again to lowering the age. Um, the House Criminal Justice and Public Safety Committee is holding a public hearing uh, this coming Tuesday. Wow. Uh, on a bill that would lower the legal age for alcohol possession from 21 to 20 in New Hampshire. Uh, let's see, this thing just scrolled down way too much. Okay. In 2016, the House rejected the bill that would allow them to be as young as 18 if they were accompanied by adults to drink beer and wine, but not liquor. Similar bills have failed all across the country in recent years because states that lower the drinking age below 21 would lose federal highway money. Uh-huh. And since we're talking about working on the infrastructure of this country again on the highways and stuff, it probably won't pass. New Hampshire is among only a handful of states that has no exceptions to its prohibition. Other states allow minors to consume alcohol under parental supervision during religious ceremonies and other circumstances. New Hampshire does not have that. So, uh, I don't know. They they probably won't because they can use highway money. Everybody in the country can use highway money. So, it probably won't happen. But as it stands now, they're looking at possibly lowering the drinking age from 21 down to 20. That's interesting. It's uh, we talk about cashing in on those millennials. That's a good way to do it, isn't it? Okay, let me see if there's something else on this page I want to talk about, and it doesn't look like it. And let's see this next page here. There's something else I want to talk about. Uh, Wine shipments increased in the United States with 1.3% last year. And this is the continuing 20-year trend for wine shipments to increase. It's obviously just going nuts on that. Uh, people sit at home and order their groceries from stores and stuff and have it delivered to them. And they can order just about everything online through Amazon. And then they have to jump in the car and drive down to get something in wine. And so the more that they're shipping to home direct sales, then the more it's going to happen. Direct wine shipments uh, to Pennsylvania last year hit $57 million. That's just to Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania just opened that up, if you recall. I would just... It was something new that they allowed it to, to ship direct shipment to Pennsylvania. It used to be have to go through the state stores, and they just opened up fifty-seven million dollars. Uh, so wow, Disney is going to get its first on-site on-site brewery. Uh, let's see if it gives a timeline on this. I don't remember. My computer's slow. My computer's always slow, though. Um, it's going to be in Orange County. It's due to open later this year. It's a 9,350-square-foot uh, site at Ballast Point, Orange County. It's owned by Constellation Brands. It's uh, going to be described as a three-barrel research and development brewery. 
going to have an outdoor patio, cabana-style seating, all sorts of good stuff, and especially for Disney. Uh, they will also menu is promises the Southern California cuisine along with the beer, including Baja-style fish tacos and house-made pretzel with beer mustard. Uh, so it's coming up the latter part of this year. So if you live in California, Southern California, and the Disney World uh, area, then uh, our Disneyland, I'm sorry, not Disney World, Disneyland area, which is California, check out their new beers that they're going to have on, uh, that they're making themselves. This uh, three barrels, it doesn't say any more about what they're looking at or anything, but three barrels, so looks like three types. And expect that before very long, probably hitting Disney World here in Florida. So we'll wait and see if that happens. And New Jersey's wine grape industry has a robust impact on the state economy. New Jersey, now New Jersey doesn't have a whole lot of wineries compared to other states, but yet it's doing a tremendous amount of impact. A $323 million impact in 2016, um, the latest year for full records. That's an increase of 39.9% over the previous year. Uh, it's a, a good example of walking into the states and saying, look how much money you can make off of taxes if you just open it up. Uh, the uh, southern New Jersey wineries are booming because of their location close to... Uh, Capital in that area. So, uh, you know, there's proof. There's proof right there. It is a tremendous, a tremendous economic impact. Survey in New Jersey wineries estimates that 108,813 tourists visited New Jersey wineries in 2016. Uh, the total, total monies. Uh, $219.9 billion uh, across the country impact and in New Jersey total wages, employee wages, 12 million, 12.9 million, almost 13 million. Big business, big business. Legislatures, are you listening? If you are, quit making all these stupid rules and let wine be sold in your state. Because you can make money off of it. You know, and obviously every legislature wants money so they can have their little, you know, pork or whatever they're going to do. So, so uh, let's see. I got one other here that I'm going to check out. I thought I saw something here that I was going to tell you about. Uh, nope, I guess not. Um so that's it for the night. Uh, it's a little bit early, but uh, I share with you, I am on insulin now with my diabetes, and tonight's my first night of giving myself a shot, and they say I should do it about 8 o'clock every night, and I've never done it before, so I'm a little apprehensive about this, so I need to wash my hands and get the needle ready and fill it up and find a spot and rub it and do all that stuff. And it's going to take, I mean, those of you who are on insulin already, God bless you. I hope it's going easier for you, but this is my first time. And I didn't know, you know, I'll see how it works. Tune in next week. That's all for this. I think is there anything else on this one I want to talk about. Uh, it's official lineup. Wineries. Wineries rise in Michigan, but more grapes are needed. That's everywhere in the country. I, I mentioned that before. Everywhere in the country, no matter where you are, if you want to make money, plant yourself a vineyard because you can always, always, always find people who will buy your grapes in that state. So keep that in mind. Um, so we're done for the night. 
tune in next week because Mike will be back with us next week, and we're going to be talking, like we always do again, about the sulfites and these instruments out there to remove them. Uh, oh, okay, so I just read an article about the guy in Kansas, uh, and he's... He says that he has found the, or he's going to be doing it properly and all that because he's got backing and everything. We will see. Um, but I think I talked about him a couple weeks ago. But, you know, we'll go back and revisit. And, well, I found something else, too. Uh, where is the paperwork here? I don't know. Oh, there it is. Uh, I found something else here. Called uh, Respierre. Respierre. It's a wine aerator. Uh, it's an expensive wine aerator. And so uh, we'll talk a little bit about that too. So tune in next week and you'll get our take on all these sulfite remover things that are so, so popular now. And You know, I well, I, I won't. <laughs> I won't start editorializing now. I'll wait until next week to start giving my comments. But thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening in. A little short on the program this week, or a few minutes short, but that's all right. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Hope everybody's surviving this flu season. If you do have the flu, you know, sit around and listen to past episodes of All About Wine. There's a good way to kill some time. You just listened to five or six episodes, and there's your afternoon, and you didn't even realize how sick you were. So that's a good way to spend some time while you're home instead of watching daytime TV, which, oh, my gosh, that drives me crazy. Um, And uh, if you have any comments or anything, get a hold of us. Uh, You can uh, email us. You can Facebook us. You can do anything. I check them all the time, and since I'm going to retire permanently at the end of this month, I will be checking them lots, so nothing will escape me. Have yourself a good week, and drink lots of wine, and we will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine.